Hey there, this is Donna Gates, and today we'll be mapping Candida on the 15-Minute Matrix. Welcome to the 15-Minute Matrix. I'm Andrea Nakayama, functional medicine nutritionist and your host. This is the podcast that brings you bite-sized insights and lessons on the clinical relevance of the functional nutrition matrix, the most important tool in functional medicine and functional nutrition. The matrix is so important not only because it invites us to stop and assess, but also because it reminds us of three very important factors in our care, our recommendations, and our outcomes. Everything is connected, we are all unique, and all things matter. Be sure to head over to this episode's show notes at 15minutematrix.com if you'd like to see today's topic mapped on a downloadable matrix to remind you of these critical aspects of care. Today on the 15 Minute Matrix, I'll be speaking with Donna Gates. Donna Gates is the international best-selling author of The Body Ecology Diet, Recovering Your Health and Rebuilding Your Immunity, and The Body Ecology Guide to Growing Younger, Anti-Aging Wisdom for Every Generation. For the last 25 years, she's been on a mission to change the way the world eats. Her first book, The Body Ecology Diet, introduced the world to a sugar-free, gluten-free, casein-free, and probiotic-rich diet and a way of life that is now followed by tens of thousands of people around the world. The diet grew to popularity initially by word of mouth and all these years later still stands the test of time. Donna has become one of the most respected authorities in the field of digestive health, diet, and nutrition. In 2013, she completed an advanced fellowship with the American Academy of Anti-Aging Medicine. Donna's extensive research and dedication to learning help her stay ahead of what's coming in the field of health and nutrition. Her latest passion is nutritional genomics. Donna, what an absolute pleasure it is to have you here with us on the 15-Minute Matrix. Welcome. Oh, thank you, Andrea. This is something we've talked about doing for like years, and I'm so excited. I'm so happy you asked me because I think this is an important topic that a lot of practitioners know something about, but they don't know enough about it. And I don't think they realize how important it is to conquer yeast. Mm, It's not only an important topic, you are an important person to talk to about the topic because (laughs) of the way you dove in, you researched it, you continue to research it. And I know, Donna, we're going to talk about an anti-candida diet and its widespread implications from supporting balanced digestion to nutritional genomics, but I'm wondering if we can just back it up and first identify what we know candida to be and why it demands our clinical attention. Well, it is a yeast that's naturally present in the microbiome, but in a healthy person with a healthy gut, it is in harmless or what they would call a commensal, actually even beneficial, you know, microbe. And so in a change in the environment of the gut, using antibiotics, birth control pills, steroids, and things like that, they kill the good bacteria that are in there, keeping the yeast under control, which is lactobacillus and Saccharomyces boulardii is a very important other yeast. 
that's keeping it under control. If too many of the good ones are wiped out, and unfortunately, the yeast are left, and they grow in population, not enough Saccharomyces, the other ones all grow, and now they change form. They become really bad <laughs> because they grow tentacles, and then they burrow in to the lining and definitely create inflammation in a leaky gut. They can move through then, you know, into the body and move around and colonize different places, especially places in the body that are more susceptible, such as a woman who's had uh, breast implants or somebody that's had hip or knee replacements or some, you know, valve with a heart or something. Once they've created that leaky gut, there's other things now that can leak through. So they're a major contributor to autoimmune conditions. And I have, of course, been working for years learning about them. And with time, it wasn't an important area of research, uh, but now it it is. And the word um, microbiome was coined about 11 years or so ago. And so researchers are really studying the microbiome. And a lot of times people, you know, use the term microbiome, but the microbiome, M-Y-C-O, Biome, that's referring to the yeast, where the microbiome refers to yeast, but also bacteria and viruses, which is called the virome, bacterium. Archaea was thought to be a bacteria, but they now know it's its own species and they cause a lot of trouble in the gut. Phages, you know, they're phages, which are viruses that are, can be bad, but can also be extremely beneficial. And so there's a lot going on down there in addition to the microbiome. So, I just want people to know that the term microbiome refers to a whole community of different types of organisms living together. That's so fascinating. There's so many things that you said. One thing going back to what you said at the beginning of your description was that they go from being commensal, meaning, yes, we have them and we want them to some degree to having more of an opportunistic situation where there's overgrowth. You mentioned they change form. Are they actually changing in their makeup as they become more opportunistic? Well, think of them as shapeshifters. Like they do change and they now are in this, what's called the hyphae form of growing tentacles. That's how they change. And once you've got yeast growing in your body, it's so easy to reactivate it. I mean, everything we're doing in our lifestyle today, stress, you've got to control blood sugar, you're feeding them. You've got to have the right diet, really precise diet. And I know today there's a lot of diets for candida out there, but I, they don't nail it. They're just not accurate enough. So I would say that if you're someone like me, I started taking antibiotics for my skin when I was a teenager. Now I know why my skin broke out. It's really common for women to have, you know, acne and skin problems. They're not good detoxifiers genetically. They're usually not. And then their skin breaks out. Years ago, they put us on antibiotics and birth control pills. They still do that for the skin, but that totally destroys the whole microbiome. And I ended up by the time I was in probably high school, certainly college with systemic candidiasis. So I just spent my whole life from that point on, what is wrong with me? And until I met Dr. William Crook one day when he was literally launching his book, at a conference expo out there in California, we sat and talked for a while and I thought, this is what's wrong with me. And you know, there's ways to diagnose candida, but honestly, I think history is the number one important way that we have to, first of all, find when did it start? And you will see most of the time it is 
around the use of antibiotics. Uh, and then, of course, they, they also gave women birth control pills. That's a contributing factor, too. So even though I have a, a healthy gut now, I know that, you know, if I didn't do all the things I do, keep a healthy microbiome going, especially as I get older, you know, in my 70s now. And so as people get older, their their microbiome is not going to be healthy. <laughs> so you really have to do certain things, eat a certain way and all to keep it healthy. And so that those yeast don't regrow again, because, you know, they're there and they can easily shift shape back into that really pathogenic form. And I think that one of the things uh, that tricks people, practitioners, is that two things. First of all, we don't really have great tests, but, you know, if you use the organic acid test, there's markers in there that indicate that you have yeast and, and mold too. Uh, they're both members of the fungus family, but they're different. They're quite different, actually. And But anyway, you know, they see those markers so commonly that they just almost look over it. The other thing is, you know, again, they have this kind of myth out there that, oh, it's so big deal, they're naturally present in the gut. So I, I don't think it's at all getting the attention. I think every single practitioner should assume that person they're working with, if they've come to you and they're not well and they have gut problems, they should assume yeast are also playing a role. And they're almost always in there with lots of other bad bacteria. You know, protozoa is common. It's not just candida, but candida are present. And the same diet that you're using to conquer that yeast infection and get it back under control and keep it under control is um, going to benefit um, the other bacteria the pathogenic bacteria too. Yeah, it's so fascinating because you're saying it's like not just candida. And I think one of the traps that I've seen practitioners get into, one of the many traps, and over the decades that you and I have been working, Donna, is that there are different things in vogue to focus on. And maybe it was candida for a time, it becomes SIBO, it becomes mold, it becomes metal toxicity, right? Part of what you're saying and what I believe your approach addresses is the complexity of the whole. It really is terrain, a diet for the terrain that addresses the fungal overgrowth, but also is addressing everything else at the same time, the, the context in which that yeast has become opportunistic. Well, I really appreciate you saying that, Andre, but also knowing that because, well, I just feel like it's rare. Strangely enough, although we have wonderful people out there trying to help, you know, who are doing the best they can to help people with gut problems, this seems to be overlooked. Now, right now, what we're talking about what's in vogue, CIFO, which is the fungus getting yes. into the small intestine, is getting talked about a lot. And it usually, I would say it, they come hand in hand with each other, too. It's why would they not be both a problem in the, in the small intestine? So that's good that, you know, that that's come to the forefront. Oh, my goodness, it's not just in the colon anymore. It's also gotten into the small intestine, but it's also all over the whole body. You know, uh, women with breast implants, again, like I said, any kind of, you know, any type of porn thing. Is it mucosal? Is it getting into the mucosal tissue? Like, does it get into the lungs, the respiratory tract? Absolutely. Okay, so it's getting through mucosal. Yeah, in Chinese medicine, there's always been this understanding in the five element theory that the lungs and large intestine are connected. You know, with COVID, for example, the virus enters the gut and, of course, the lungs, too. And so you've got both going on. 
the gut and the lungs both have their own microbiome. And of course, yeast, again, with those wonderful, very efficient tentacles that they can form, they attach to those mucosal surfaces. That's their playing ground. Right. So I want to talk about the diet more and your approach. Before we do that, can you just list off for us some of the symptoms that over your decades of working with people with candida, you're aware are presenting for folks? Well, that is really... Kind of everything. Yeah, that is a tricky (laughs) question to answer because the same symptoms you'll find them in people with chronic fatigue, uh, SIRS, fibromyalgia. You know, again, where are they attacking the body? Like they can actually be in the joints, affecting all kinds of autoimmune diseases. It's affecting so much all throughout the body that you really can't say. That's why I really honestly, the best thing is to sit down and talk to the person right from the beginning and ask them to tell you about their history. What kind of food do they have growing up? Were they children as children started getting a lot of antibiotics? How were they born? Yeah, exactly. Well, even if they're born with a perfect situation, usually around six weeks, the immune system after being born and being breastfed, even the immune system has gotten a little bit considerably stronger. And it got kind of what I go, I say goes out for a practice run. Now it wants to, you know, do its thing and get stronger. So it's really common for breastfed babies around six weeks to get what looks like a cold. And they get all, you know, their little cheeks will turn, they'll get kind of like red rashy cheeks. That's another sign. Another sign with babies that today they're born with it. And you can tell because they have cradle cap right away. They get diaper rash early on. And even little girls will get vaginal yeast infections and boys will get yeast around their penises. And then later on, within the first two years, they end up with eczema, the other sign. So when I started working with children with autism years ago, you know, I had my antennas up and every single child I work with has yeast. You know, their mothers are very aware of it by this stage and they have yeast themselves. If you sit down and you know, talk to them about their history, that is because, you know, this generation of young women of childbearing age, like I have a daughter who's 50, when she was born, there was a serious misuse of antibiotics. You know, anytime you got your child got an ear infection or a cold or something, your pediatrician gave your daughter an antibiotic. Now she grows up and she has her baby and she has a yeast infection. And it even may be subtle, you know, it's kind of kept under control by her immune system. But when she's pregnant, it will become more of a problem because the hormones, estrogen and progesterone go up, of course, they need to, glucose goes up, which needs to go up. All those things feed the yeast infection. And now what was a minor infection become a much more acute one. And she can give that to the baby, either passing through the birth control uh, now or even systemically to the baby. So at the time, you know, I started working with the first kids. I really didn't know anything about autism yet. I just thought certain things would help. Sure enough, it did. And these kids, many of the children started recovering. We have a bunch of them that recovered. And uh, the rest of them are all improving. So I, I do think it's critical if you have an autistic child to get, or you're a practitioner working with parents, you know, you must just start off with the fact that they have a yeast infection. Yeah. So how do we go about the implementation and what have you learned along the way are even more important points for us to implement with the diet? So just shifting the diet and eliminating the things that are really bad for you, they're feeding the yeast, 
that will cause so much die off that the person becomes really uncomfortable. I happen to be a very big believer in intimacy in the beginning, especially when you wake up feeling horrible, fatigued, you know, that's a major symptom is fatigue, but also brain fog because they're used to producing chemicals like acetaldehyde, which is, you know, if you've ever been drunk, you, you have all this acetaldehyde in your body and look at your, what your brain is doing. So, you know, the diet is key. And so now there's a lot of microbiome diets out there for the fungus, but they aren't accurate enough. Uh, like the paleo diet is a real good start for people because they're low carb. You're not having any sugar. That's good. But if you want to grow a healthy microbiome, you want to add certain foods back in and they don't do that. So you're, you're not feeding the good bacteria if you stop there. So with body ecology, I have two stages. The first stage really is to bring those yeast under control, but then you want to start thinking, okay, now we also have to grow back the good bacteria and you do need good fiber. Everybody knows for, you know, the good guys. And so in stage two, you want to add say legumes and certain grains, which you got to prepare them properly. Now it's really important to understand oxalates because this is a big issue that nobody's linking to, but the oxalate yeast connection is the yeast actually are making oxalates in our body. So now we're even more sensitive to oxalates. So the diet really has to be low in those high oxalate foods. You know, refining the diet even further, I, I would highly recommend that people look at the foods that are extremely high in histamine and write those down too. And in the beginning, when it's really the time to be much more strict and really get these yeast under control, I would say avoid the high histamine foods because the yeast are in the gut causing all kinds of histamine problems. So I just think in the perfect world. You wouldn't have yeast. You wouldn't have any flour products. You'd be mindful to avoid those high oxalate foods and avoid those high histamine foods. Uh, no alcohol, of course. <laughs> right. Because that would feed the yeast. And what I love about what you're talking about is that we don't just take things out. There are certain things we have to be sure to bring in. And you're talking about some things I think we all know at this point to bring in the good probiotic rich foods. But I think that people get confused about the fibers. I think the fibers can come out too quickly and too often, and then we're not feeding. We're not getting those short-chain fatty acids. We're not feeding the microbiome. So how do you recommend that we onboard people? Because I find that oftentimes practitioners are A, either afraid to do anything because they don't understand all the complexities, or B, they go too fast for the individual to make sustainable change. And I think by the time people come to you and your work, they're already 70% of the way to the understanding. But we're working with people who may need to make some incremental changes in order to eat and not become fearful of food. So do you have any recommendations for practitioners in the onboarding of such a targeted and accurate diet? Well, you know, first of all, I think that you can't do everything at once. There's a whole learning curve involved. And so I think sitting down with a person and saying, here's what's going on. And this is the ideal thing. If you really want to get this under control, this is the ideal thing to do. 
these are the foods that are safe. These are the ones you want to avoid. Start off by cutting out the flour in the certain foods, like the ones to cut out from the very beginning, obviously, are gluten. But I go a step further and say flour products. So ask the person to do that. And then, you know, the sugars. And just be mindful. Give them a chance to do that. That is a big deal. Dairy, too. I know with working with parents years ago, they were just stunned when you say, don't do gluten and don't do dairy. They thought, well, that's all my child eats. I don't even know where to begin. It's a funny thing, but another first step is to start them on fermented vegetables. I had also invented a drink years ago by fermenting coconut water, and that is especially effective at helping reduce cravings for sugar. I mean, it's one thing people would say, I don't crave any sugar anymore. And of course, with yeast in your body, you're going to crave sugar because they're trying to keep their environment acidic. So they want you to eat sugar. So I think another absolutely critical first step is to eat certain fermented foods. So for me, the ones I recommend are fermented vegetables, ideally made with starter, but go buy them in the store if you have to. Add them at every major meal. They're doing so many important things, including adding good bacteria back in, which is going to even change the way you think. Like the kids would start you know, talking and being much more calm and everything because the gut-brain connection, which we didn't really understand about that so much 18 years ago. And we can get results there too. I think like that's what I want coaches and clinicians to know that sometimes we can get to a certain point and still be seeing results it's when we're not seeing results that we have to keep going further and further and further. And sometimes we have to start very strict and then add more in. So it really is, as you said, a case-by-case basis. But, you know, as you said, a lot of people, they've been educating themselves for a really long time. And a major job of the practitioner is education. If you explain to people, here's what's going on, Here's ideally what you need to do. Where can you start? Like, what are you willing to do? Some people are on a paleo, sugar-free diet. So if they're not doing the fermented foods, but at least they're low-carb, you'll say, well, we don't want to stay forever low-carb, but it's a really good place to start. But we do want to get your good bacteria in. The easiest way to do that is eat the fermented vegetables and or probiotic liquids are great. And then I don't find the probiotic supplements which we have some great ones. We have one called histamine reducing bacteria that probiotic that is really good for histamine reactions. But I don't think we need to start there because you've got to do some major renovation of the gut and the environment of the gut. So those bacteria, because they're more fragile than the bacteria in fermented foods, and remember good yeast are in the fermented foods. So that really, they're so important to start with. I absolutely don't think people understand the power of fermented vegetables, sauerkraut, kimchi, fermented vegetables, all of those. Uh, I say fermented vegetables because you can make them out of a variety of vegetables, not just cabbage or the kimchi recipe, but they're a great place to start. And I would say, you know, tell them, see if you can try to most of the time do paleo and then add the fermented vegetables in, and that could be a real simple start. The thing is, though, it's really important to understand that that doesn't mean kombucha or a lot of these other drinks on the market, because that's wild yeast. And I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about uh, actual known and well-researched bacteria. You don't want something with wild yeast in it, because again, it's just like the gluten issue. The immune system is highly tuned, trying the, is the best to bring the yeast under control. So you don't want alcohol, you know, beer, wine, kombucha, you don't want that. 
Right. Yeah. Such a good point. Donna, I could talk to you forever and this is a big question to end on, but I know you shared a lot of things with us today that practitioners not only want to know, but that we might be thinking of incorrectly in relation to yeast, candida, the mycobiome. Is there anything else that you just wish you could shout from the rooftops about this topic that we're all doing wrong? You know, I think it's the wholeness of it. Like, just to treat the yeast isn't enough. You want to realize there's a histamine issue going on. There's other microbes in the gut too. You, the practitioner, needs to learn about fermented foods. You need to learn about the high histamine foods and absolutely the oxalates. They are causing so many problems for people today, huge problems. It's not even on most practitioners' radar. So I think that's very essential to do. So brilliant, Donna. Thank you for your time again, for all your hard work, and for joining us on the 15-Minute Matrix. What a pure delight to speak with you. Oh, Andrea, thank you for giving me this chance to get this information out. It's awful to sit with it and not be able to help people. So thank you very, very much. The 15-Minute Matrix is hosted and produced by me, Andrea Nakayama, and the Functional Nutrition Alliance. The podcast is edited and mixed by Brian Paik of Pacific Audio, and special thanks to Natalie Merrill, Alia Hale, Pamela Geismar, and Rowan Bradley for their support in making the 15-Minute Matrix possible. You can find episodes on all kinds of topics with more incredible guests at our podcast website, 15minutematrix.com, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you'd like to see the completed functional nutrition matrix that accompanies today's or any episode, be sure to head over to the podcast website. Again, that's 15minutematrix.com. We love when you share our episodes with your friends and colleagues, leave a review and rate the show. That helps us to grow our collective message that functional nutrition is the future of healthcare. Also, be sure to follow us on Instagram at Functional Nutrition Alliance, and you can follow me at Andrea Nakayama. And if you or someone you know is interested in becoming a functional nutrition counselor, head over to fxnutrition.com to learn more about our Full Body Systems program. Full Body Systems is our 10-month immersion course where you'll learn the systems-based approach to addressing the root causes of your clients' issues through client education, diet, and lifestyle modification. Again, you can always learn more at fxnutrition.com.